Thank you, Joan. Great song. Job, go ahead and get in your Bible. You went to Job chapter 11. Job chapter 11. We've been working our way through the book of Job on uh, the most recent Bible study that I've been doing when it's my turn to speak. This is our seventh message. And uh, please forgive my voice tonight. I actually feel fine. I don't look any better than usual, but I feel fine. Uh, but my voice um, is not good. And um, I did teach for an hour and 15 minutes straight last night and talked a lot today because of this or that. So please just bear with me. Pray that it would be better and that I would be able to be understood. We, of course, don't know when exactly Job lived. We don't know where for sure the land of Uz was, where Job lived. We don't know who the human author of the book of Job is, but we do know that God inspired and preserved this book on purpose for us. We have spent a couple of weeks now in the section of Job uh, where most people get bogged down. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, we talked about the wound uh, of a second friend. Remember, there's a proverb that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, which just means that if you're truly a friend, at times you will say things that hurt your friend, but are ultimately in their own interest, and you're looking out for their good because you love them. Uh, that is not what happened with either of the first two of Job's friends who spoke. Remember the first friend who spoke up? was a man named Eliphaz. He was a good friend, uh, but he did not speak words that helped Job. Uh, the second of Job's friends to speak was a guy by the name of Bildad. He also was a good friend, uh, but his words also weren't intended to help Job. In fact, last time we talked from the book of Job, we spoke about his friend Bildad, and over the course of sitting with Job quietly for seven days, listening to Job speak about how desperate he was, and then listening to Eliphaz make his accusations of Job, and Job answered them, Bildad spoke up, and we saw what he said, and he, he didn't say comfort in things. He continued the intellectual debate, so to speak, uh, with Job. We saw how Bildad said Job's words were a bunch of hot air. And then he actually had the nerve to tell Job that his children got what they deserved. We saw Bildad concluded that Job was a wicked sinner and he was a hypocrite. And the things that happened to him were evidence of that being so. We read the pious platitudes of Bildad. And even though what he said was technically true, uh, what he said did not really apply to Job or Job's situation. Remember, the Bible accurately records Bildad's false and hurtful accusations. Bildad did not represent God well to Job. Uh, and so we close then making some applications of what Bildad said. Now, after Job answered Bildad, I'm sure Job thought his third friend would recognize what's going on he would come to his aid and comfort him. I'm sure that's what Job thought. I mean, remember, 
Job had went through it badly months now ago. He had learned that in just a couple of moments that his 10 children were dead, that he'd lost all of his wealth, and that hundreds of his employees had died. For months now, he had been sitting in the ashes, either outside of his house or outside of the city, scraping the pus off of boils that covered him from the tip of his foot to the top of his head. It was a terrible sight. I mean, picture it. I mean, for months. I mean, how could you shave if that was the situation with your head and face? I mean, a picture, just what kind of a mess that he was at this point. And if it weren't enough, uh, because his wife had just basically said, curse God and die. He lost the support of his loving wife. I mean, what motivation would he have had to take care of himself? I mean, just see him sitting there. Satan had really done everything God allowed him to do to bring Job down and hurt him in every way possible. And though Job's trials would have been too much for any of us, they were not too much for Job nor for his wife. Of course now, Bill Zophar is, after traveling so far, he finally is going to step up. He's going to correct Eliphaz and Bildad. He's going to comfort his friend, right? I wish it were so. He would stand tonight in honor the words of God, the title of my thought tonight is the word, the wounds of a third friend. The wounds of a third friend. Job 11, beginning verse 1, then answered Zophar the Namathite and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? Should a man full of talk be justified? Should thy lies make men hold their peace? When thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed? For thou hast said my doctrine is pure, I'm clean in thine eyes, but oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee, and that he would shew thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. Thank you, might be seated. Pretty encouraging, huh? Remember, instead of slogging through all these verbal, this verbal bantering that goes forth. Uh, three times Eliphaz speaks, three times uh, Bildad speaks, uh, twice Zophar speaks. Job speaks in between each of those, and so rather than going through those verse by verse, we're just hitting the highlights of, of their message to Job so we don't get bogged down in these 33 chapters of discussion. And as I pointed out before, keep your hand there, go up to chapter 42. So why do you repeat yourself? Uh, sometimes um, it takes several times to sink in. And nearly every time we assemble, there are people here who weren't here for the last message from Job or maybe several messages from Job. Whether you realize it or not, like just this Sunday, we had nine first-time visitors. Um, we, we've averaged 7.8 first-time visitors now for 17 years. And so what is repetition to you is fresh to, to, to somebody else. Uh, remember in Job 42, 7, it says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, 
My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for you have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. And so remember, when we study what Job says, God says, you spoke about me what was right. When we study what Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar says, we're studying something that God says, what they said about me is not right. And so that's even more reason to not spend a lot of time on them. But understand this simple thing. When our view of God is wrong, our view about every event of life is never going to be right. At a time when Job really needed someone to speak comforting words to him, uh, intellectual debate of sorts erupts. Remember, the wise man said in Proverbs, as face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. And just like we can see the reflection of our face when we look down into the water, uh, we will never reach a heart unless we use our heart. And unfortunately, Job's friends aren't trying to reach Job's heart. They're having an intellectual discussion with him. They're trying to reach his mind. And Job's heart will never be bettered, nor will it ever be fixed when someone is speaking to his mind. Unfortunately, Zophar, just like Eliphaz and Bildad, was enamored with his own intellect and his own eloquence. And Zophar did not know God as well as he thought. By the way, most people don't know as much about God as they think they know. Uh, most people have some very strong opinions and beliefs about spiritual things, but they are really almost completely biblically ignorant. And if you don't have any knowledge of the Scriptures, what you know about God is nowhere near what you think you know about God. Most people are their own final authority. And when you're your own final authority, when you think you get to decide what is right and wrong, and you get to decide what God is like, and you get to decide what happens in the future, it is no surprise when your views about life and eternity are twisted. Now, when Zophar began to speak, I'm sure Job had a glimmer of hope that Zophar would be different than his other two friends. But instead, like his two friends, he makes a bunch of hurtful accusations. We just read a couple of them. Notice, first he accused Job of lying about not being a hypocrite and wicked. He accused Job of mocking Eliphaz and Bildad in verse 3. He said, should thy lies make men hold their peace? And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed? (laughs) You see, when... Eliphaz and Bildad turned the conversation into an intellectual debate instead of comforting and showing pity to their friend. Job, he began to debate to defend himself. By the way, uh, listen, Job, his faith was intact. He, He endured something I believe is greater than any other human being has ever endured in the history of man, which is part of why I believe Job's story is in the Bible. I believe nobody can ever say, no one's ever worse than me. I think that human being, and we'll find out someday, I think that human being was Job. And so it's pretty easy to ma- imagine by this point, even though his faith is intact, I mean, his attitude and his wick's pretty short. And so when his friends are not offering him comfort 
and pity, and they instead make these accusations and begin this intellectual debate, you know, he's not going to just sit idly by. Uh, But what he had to say, that's a conversation, a lesson for another time. His second accusation, notice so far, then he accused Job of claiming to have pure doctrine and being clean in their eyes when he was actually wicked. In verse 4, he says, For thou hast said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thine eyes. Here's the problem. That's a false accusation. Job didn't claim to be claimed uh, clean. In verse chapter 10, verse 7, he says, Thou knowest that I'm not wicked, and that there's none that can deliver out of thine hand. Job didn't claim to be clean. He claimed he wasn't wicked. <laughs> In fact, if you study what Job said, and Job had spoken three times by this point, it's interesting that Job never used the word doctrine. He never used the word pure. It's not in any of his statements. And so what Zophar has here is really, it's a false accusation. False accusations hurt us deeply, especially serious ones like the first two men made, and now Zophar is making as well. Listen, What they said hurt Job. Just because Job was a mature man of faith, it doesn't mean that what they said didn't hurt him. People are people. This this hurt him badly. The difference when we hurt someone who's mature and immature is not the level of pain. The difference is how they respond. And Job was a mature man of faith, and so how he responded was good, but... It hurt him. So far then he goes on uh, to want God to speak to Job so Job could see things as clearly as Eliphaz, Bildad, and he saw them in verse 6. He says it, or verse 5 and 6, he says, but oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee. See, so far he's sure God's against him. Verse 6, and that he would show thee Personal, remember, pronoun starts with thee, that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thy iniquity it deserves. Uh, you know, Zophar was convinced that God was against Job, even though he was completely wrong. In fact, he even went so far as to say that everything that happened to Job was less than he deserved. Now, uh, we need to put this in context. I mean, we regularly say, you know what, Uh, I deserve hell, but Jesus saved me. And it is true. Every human being does deserve hell. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and God is a perfect, holy, and a just God. We do all deserve hell. But that's not what he's talking about here. I mean, basically, what he is in effect saying is that Job's wickedness and his hypocrisy was so pronounced that he deserved more than having all ten of his kids killed at once. He deserved more than losing all his wealth at once. He deserved more than having uh, all this happen to him that Job, he didn't even get enough. I mean, think about that. This is his friend. I mean, imagine the pride and the gall and the condescension to say something like this out loud to someone who's suffering badly. I mean, think about it. It's terrible. 
And Zophar isn't even done. He actually believed that if Job would seek God, all these bad things would go away. In verse 13, he says, If thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands toward him, that's toward God, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot. Yea, thou shalt be steadfast and shalt not fear, because thou shalt forget thy misery and remember it as the waters that, that pass away. He, he says basically, seek God and all this will go away. See, he presumes Job didn't seek God before and wasn't seeking him now. But Job did seek God before this happened, and we know he worshiped and saw God after this happened. Listen, Zophar had no awareness of bad things happening to good people. Zophar had no awareness He wrongly thought that all the difficulties of life were God punishing someone for something. It's a twisted view of God. And when your view of God is not right, your view of everything that happens is never going to be right. God did have a purpose in this, but it wasn't to punish Job. In fact, Zophar's view of life is very much like the charismatic view of life today who think that if a believer has enough faith, your difficulties and your sicknesses will all go away. It's a lie. And really what they're doing is preaching Zophar's message. Now, Zophar is going to speak again, go up a few chapters to chapter 20, and in between there, of course, Job answers Zophar, and then Eliphaz speaks, and Job answers Eliphaz, and Bildad speaks, and Job answers Bildad, and then Zophar, it's his turn again. That's what I mean. This is an intellectual debate. These are highly educated, well-studied, eloquent men with no heart for their friend. Now, the second time Zophar speaks, he makes it clear that to him, this is a debate, not some mission of mercy or compassion. In Job chapter 20, uh, we begin with Zophar again. He said, then answered Zophar the Namathite and said, therefore do my thoughts cause me to answer, and for this I make haste. I have heard the check of my reproach, and the spirit of my understanding causeth me to answer. In other words, Job counteracted and spoke against what Zophar said. And I've heard the check of my speech, and now you've checked my speech. It's my turn to get back and say something else to you. I mean, how dare you answer my accusations when I'm clearly right? Listen, there is a time and a place to have honest intellectual discussion like grown adults who love and respect one another. There's too little of that in our country. Uh, By the way, I'm glad when I can have honest discussions with people here. You know, listen, it is absolutely unhealthy if we don't ever disagree. It's okay to disagree. There are healthy ways to disagree and unhealthy ways to disagree. Uh, Zophar is not healthy. <laughs> He's mad that 
Job had another opinion of what's going on. Um, you, you know, Job didn't need a debate at this point. He needed pity, mercy, compassion. And so far, like the other guys, he basically repeats the same accusation that Job is a hypocrite and he's wicked. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says, Knowest not thou not this of old, since man was placed upon earth, that the triumphing, triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. He said, Job, the only reason you are happy for a season and rich for a season is you are now, it's exposed that you are wicked and that you're a hypocrite, and that's why it didn't last. Sounds familiar by this time. By the way, remember, God had the complete opposite view of Job. I mean, God, God very clearly said, you know what? Uh, I brought these things on Job without cause. Without cause is not the same as without reason. God had a reason. But there was no cause in Job's life to bring these things about. Now, Zophar only speaks twice unlike Eliphaz and Bildad, who spoke three times, and Job, as I said earlier, answers in between them. And it's kind of that we're going to study Job's answer, answers and some of the things that he had to say, because in Job's answers, what, what we're going to get is a bit of a glimpse of what people with faith knew at that time. Uh, but as we think about Job's answers, um, some of his sarcasm and how he feels about how his friends are handling him come out. Go back to chapter 16. And, and this is what Job, um, Job has to say after Eliphaz speaks the second time. Uh, Job 16, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall vain words have an end? But what emboldeth thee that thou answerest? I also could speak as ye do. If your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you, but I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the moving of my lips should assuage your grief. I mean, you see, Job understood what's going on. He, he, he reached out to them for comfort and pity and mercy, and they tried to intellectually crush him and blame him for what's going on. And he just sarcastic, miserable comforter are you all. And by the way, what you're doing to me, I would never do that to you. Notice in chapter 19. This is after, in Job's answer of Bildad's second speech, in Job 19, verse 21, he says, have pity on me. Have pity on me, O ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Do you see him just crying out, and they don't care? I mean, remember the first things he had to say. He said, I don't know why I was born. I don't know why God let me live. I, I want to take my own life. I, I, I want to die. That's where Job was, and this is how they handled him. And he's crying out still for their pity. Now, he's participating in this debate at this point. By the way, that beats just rolling over and dying. 
I mean, Job's sarcasm, it's still in good shape, even still. Look at chapter 21, beginning in, in verse 1, when he answers Zophar's second series to him. Job 21.1, but Job answered and said, Hear diligently my speech, and let this be your consolations. Suffer me that I may speak, and after that I have spoken, mock on. You, you know, it, his sarcasm is still intact. Hey, listen, no one rises to success in life like Job rose to success in life who doesn't have a little bit of grit in their craw. That, that's just not the way it works. I don't care what area of our society it is, no one rises to the top and becomes successful without some... <clears throat> and you know what? Job isn't just rolling over. They're starting this intellectual bait, and he's just bantering back and forth with them, crying out for pity. But he never responds to them like they responded to him. He did answer their arguments but he never made the kind of accusations like they did. You see, Zophar has brought nothing new to the table, and he, like the other two men, they showed no heart for Job, no heart for his pain, no heart for his difficulty. In fact, he, like the other two men, had no real spiritual insight into the situation, though all three of the men thought they did. None of these men had any higher concept of God than that if you're good, God brings good in your life. If you're bad, God brings bad in your life. And that is a very shallow and petty view of an omnipotent creator. And so what I want to spend a few minutes then doing is making some practical applications and lessons that we can learn from Zophar. And we certainly could repeat the lesson from Eliphaz. There's a time to debate and a time to comfort those who are struggling. We could repeat the lesson from Eliphaz that some bad things uh, are God's correction and other bad things happen for other reasons. We could repeat the lesson from Eliphaz that we need to respect the power of our words to either crush or lift the people around us. We could repeat the lesson from Bildad that we need to be careful making accusations of people and calling them hypocrites. We could repeat the, act, the lesson from Bildad that we need to focus on figuring out why bad things happen to us instead of thinking that we know so much about why bad things happen to other people. But there are some things we learned from Zophar. Keep your hand there, but go in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 29. No, nah, just leave that. Go ahead to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. Here's the first thing we learned from Zophar. Number one, seeking God is a way to find God, but it's not a way to keep bad things from happening. Seeking God is the way to find God, but it's not the way to keep bad things from happening. Uh, most of you know the context for Jeremiah. He was a prophet at a time when God's judgment was ready to fall in the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, so many of his messages, they're just filled with Babylonians are going to destroy you. You, you. you know, it's a mess. It's really late. But notice in Jeremiah 29... 
uh, verse 11. God says here, He says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I'll hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me, and ye shall find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. By the way, we'll preach on that if Christ tarries sometime when we get to the mountain peak verses in the book of Jeremiah, because those are some of them. You see, Zophar told Job that his problems would go away if he sought God, but Job's problems weren't disciplined. God made sure that Judah knew, even in judgment, that if they would seek him, seek him with all their heart, they'd find him. You know, God is never hiding from man to not be found. I'm not saying, implying that after you mature some in your faith, that God might not just keep you at a distance and seem silent for a while. Read the Psalms. But understand, God is never hiding to not be found. When we seek Him, He will be found. Of course, that begins by seeking God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're not saved, I can't think of a better time than tonight. Give your heart to the Lord Jesus. But for those of us who have sought Christ in salvation, understand that seeking God is not something we do one time. It is something that is supposed to be a lifelong process. Now, all of us wish that seeking God and trying to believe and follow Him meant that all of, all of life's heartaches and difficulties would go away. Zophar thought that. That's why he blamed Job's problems on Job's failure to seek God. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, sometimes our problems are the result that we don't seek God. That, 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 that does happen. But understand that when problems come in, in your life and mine, I mean, it is not always because we're not seeking God. God always has a purpose when he seems like he cannot be found. Whatever you're going through tonight, if it is not the consequence of some sin you chose, understand that God has a purpose in it. And that if you seek him, he will be found. If you seek him with your heart. I honestly think very often we casually seek God instead of seeking him with our heart. And I think we very often seek a feeling instead of seeking God. That's not the same thing. Listen, if you sincerely seek and follow Jesus, any problems in life that are the result of sins, they don't happen because you're not living that way. But your problems aren't going to go away. Let me ask you, are you seeking God tonight? Do you have the mistaken idea that if you seek and follow Christ, all the problems in your life should go away? Listen, I, I'm, I'm just like you. I wish that were true. But it's not. The good news is, is that once Christ is in your life, uh, though your problems never go away, uh, listen, you'll never go through them alone. 
Listen, I'm sure Job felt like things like this shouldn't happen to people like him. By the way, that's kind of our attitude. When we're a sincere Christian and something bad happens, I mean, Lord, what are you doing this to me for? I'm sure Job felt like that. But God had a purpose. And if you think that you can get away from all of life's problems because you're seeking God, you're going to be disappointed. If you think you need to get all your disagreements and belief out there before you can have a heart for someone who's hurting, then you're prioritizing your empathy like Zophar prioritized his. See, see, maybe you don't have this problem, and I know probably some of you don't. My, my problem is, is that my heart really does go out to people who are hurting. But I'm far more inclined by my natural gifts and personality to like to explain things than I am inclined to speak about my heart. You know, so by God's grace, we need to lead with our heart instead of leading with an explanation. But it's not just that hurting people need our empathy and pity before they need our explanations. Uh, go to Psalm chapter 19. Oh, wait a minute. Go to Romans 12. Oh, I messed that up. You ever have a lot of clear stuff in your notes and then just get it all messed up? That's all right. I just gave you half of point two with point one. It'll be all right. I, I do the best I can to prayerfully and thoughtfully organize my thoughts. And quite frankly, I don't think they always came, come off organized. Uh, but not only do we learn from Zophar that it's not just seeking God is a good way to find God, but not a good way to make our problems go away. We also learn from Zophar that people need our pity and empathy when they're hurting, not our criticism. It's a pretty basic truth, but in Romans 12 and verse 15, rejoice with them that rejoice, weep with them that weep. See, the real problem is, is so much of our conversation, and it's really about us, and when we're really focused on what someone else is going through instead of ourselves, it really affects what we talk about. Um, our hearts should be moved toward those who are broken. And whether someone's problems are self-inflicted or not like Job's, uh, listen, the pain is real. I know some of you, you have a lot of natural empathy for people. And some of you, you have an extra dose of spiritual empathy for people because your spiritual gift is showing mercy or your spiritual gift is exhortation. But all of us who are Christian, any of, any of us with the Spirit of God living in us, we can show empathy in heart. 
It's not just that hurting people need our empathy and pity before our explanations. Go to Psalm 19, and hopefully I'll get the last point right instead of mixing those two together. You say you sound and act like you're sick. Now I sound bad, but I really feel fine. And if you want to debate it, I'll talk to you later. Here's the last thing, number three. We need to learn to understand the difference in being a sinner and being wicked in God's sight. Remember, that is the ongoing accusation of all three of these men. Job is wicked. Psalm 19, verse 12. says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. By the way, That's a good thing to pray. Do you ever pray that? Lord, I've confessed everything I know. Cleanse out me from secret faults. Verse 13. He says, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You know, I think believers over the years have done a lot of disservice to other people when they make statements like all sin is the same. Or sin is sin is sin is sin. Now listen, it's just it's a disservice because it's misleading. You know, all sin is in, is the same in the sense that it's transgression of God's law. All sin is the same in the, in the sense that God doesn't like any of it. But all sin is not the same in its effects in judgment or in our life. Listen, Job was a sinner, but he wasn't wicked. He was a sinner, but he wasn't a hypocrite, like Zophar and his two friends accused him of being. See, Zophar and his friends, they failed to recognize what our cons- creator considers to be sinful and what he calls wicked or hypocrisy and so what they said about job was wrong and because believers are very often careless with the words evil and with the words wicked you know a lot of people they have no good understanding of the difference in being a sinner and being wicked or evil or a hypocrite in god's sight i remember one time sitting in the living room with a husband and, and a wife, and one of them had committed adultery, and that person literally looked me in the face as an excuse for what they had done, and they said, everybody's a sinner. And the fact of the matter is, is the average Christian doesn't even have an answer for that. As if the sin of adultery is the same as the sin of not praying today. As if the sin of adultery is the same of, I wasn't kind to my wife this afternoon. Because we don't understand that though they're the same in some ways, but different in other ways, we've greatly hurt the people around us and sometimes hurt ourselves. Some sins we read there in verse 13 are presumptuous sins. Sin that is presumptuously done instead of 
committed despite your effort to stop. That's not the same. Some sins we read are a great transgression. Transgressions that are great because they're purposely and willfully started and continued. And this psalm written by David is David praying to God to give him grace to not commit any presumptuous sins and to help him remain innocent of a great transgression. By the way, David's sin with Bathsheba and orchestration of Uriah's murder, those were presumptuous sins. Those were evil. They were wicked. They are not the same as David not reading his Bible that day. And if you're someone who has in your mind, well, all sin is all the same, listen, you need to break out of that ignorance. And though God hates and judges all sins, all sins do not receive the same judgment from God. Though all sins separate us from God, all sins do not separate us from God to the same degree. Hear, hear, hear me, I believe if you're a sincere believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to be getting as much sin out of your life as possible. I honestly think our goal ought to every day to have literally nothing that you are not confessing and that you are not, with the grace of God, trying to get out of your life as much as possible. I, I believe that. Because there are some kinds of sins that we will never live above until we get a glorified body with Christ. But everybody can live above adultery and fornication. No one can live above their lusts. And if you think you are, you're already lying to yourself. Everyone can live above murder and robbery. No one can live above all hatred and covetousness. Everyone can live above blasphemy and drunkenness. No one can live above complacency, getting the best of you for a season. And the judgment and consequences for presumptuous sins and evil and wickedness, they're much more severe, both in life and with God in the judgment day, than the consequences for sins that are not presumptuous. Please don't misunderstand me. I believe we ought to get them all out of my life, out of our life. I, 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 my goal, I literally try to never have anything at all between my God and myself. And that ought to be your goal as well. And though all evil is sin, not all sin is evil. And though all wickedness is sin, not all sin is wickedness. And so if you think that someone failing and sinning while they're sincerely trying to do what's right is wicked or evil in the sight of God, then you're being like Zophar. By and large, people who say who commit presumptuous sins, who turn around and say, well, everyone's a sinner. That is an excuse to put some kind of patch on what they know is not accurate. May God help us all to never let wickedness or evil or presumptuous sins get in our life. 
May God help each of us to never excuse any sin of any sort in our life, but to rather confess it and forsake it as best as we can as soon as we recognize it. May God help us all to look at things more like he does instead of looking at them as an excuse for our own bad behavior. Now that Zophar is done, Satan has dealt another blow to Job. He's heaped more pain and misery on a broken and a desperate man. I wonder how Job will respond to all these accusations. He did respond to each of them, but that is for next time. And so if you bow your heads and close your eyes and...